The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Good morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I honestly don't even want to, like, stop you from engaging, because this is worship in itself. Yeah. So good to be with you guys today. Um, Just love um, the music that was chosen this morning and just the proclamation of Emmanuel, God who is with us, um, that we have a father who loves us, um, who loves to be present with us, to delight in us and to have us delight in him. Um, We're going to be learning from Galatians 5, 13 through 26 this morning. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I'm getting old, sorry, I'm going to get this closer. Um, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will destroy, be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good morning. This is on. Wonderful. Um, my name is Pete. As I get started here, I think it's important that you know, um, uh, Christy, uh, help me with the issue who just read, uh, think through this passage this morning. And so if there's anything that I say that you think is like amazing, you can give the credit to God. If there's anything that's good, you can give credit to my wife. And if there's anything you're upset about, that's mine. I learned something about myself this last year. I can't float. I can't float. I mean, technically, I can float. Apparently, everybody can float because the way that physics works, water is denser or heavier than your body. So, like, everyone can technically float on water, but I can't. And I know why I can't. Do you think you could float? Like, have you ever tried to just float? Can can you do it? You can? Okay, I can't. The reason that I can't is because I try too hard. 
Like, I don't have it in me to just lay down on the water and let it carry me wherever the water is going to take me. Like, I get, I, I stiffen up, I struggle, and I sink. There's some things in life that you can't accomplish by trying really hard. Some things in life, ironically, the harder you work at them, the worse you make it on yourself. And I think that's what this passage is getting after this morning. As I was studying this passage and I was praying about it, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that what we need to focus on here is how the life of faith we live following Jesus is most fulfilling from a posture of surrender, not from strivings. We have to let this grace happen to us and not work really, really hard to try to get it right. The more hope we place in our own ability, the harder we make things on ourselves. Our righteousness is not what's going to carry us to the finish line. So let me pray again and we will continue to seek God. Holy Spirit, you inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to the church in Galatia because you wanted them to see something about your heart that is beautiful and compelling and freeing and healing. And you didn't want it to stop with them. You wanted this word to get all the way to us in 2023 in Somerset, Wisconsin at the Bridge Bible Church so that we would know more of how beautiful your heart is and how much better you are than anything that could even try to tempt us to look away from your beautiful face. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you let your presence be known here now? More than praying that you would remove the distractions, God, I pray that you would exalt the name of Jesus. That who you are would be so compelling that we wouldn't want to look away. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot going on in this passage, and we could spend a lot of time talking about a lot of different things, but I think one of the main things that God wants us to see through this word is just how much he loves us, right? Because God is telling us he wants us to walk by the Spirit. Like God is inviting us into a deep, personal, intimate relationship with himself. He's not looking for a drive-by. He's not looking for uh, anything quick. He wants a long-term committed relationship that's personal and intimate and daily, step-by-step with us. He wants, that, he wants to have that with us so much that he even warns us. He gives us a list of things to be paying attention to so that we can tell when our hearts are starting to drift away from him. I think that's what this, the whole list here about the, the works of the flesh is about. It's like, it's like a smoke alarm blaring in your house that something's wrong. Because I think that most people who would come to church on a Sunday morning would probably look at this list in, uh, when does it start? Is it verse 19? Yeah. Like most people who are going to take the time to come to a church building on a Sunday morning are going to look at this list and say, yep, that's bad. Don't do it. 
So I don't think necessarily that this is a list of things that we're supposed to avoid doing, though certainly we should. But I think it's more about a warning. It's like a warning, a siren that goes off in our hearts so that when our hearts start to drift away from God, we can see, okay, are these things going on in me? Am I jealous? Why am I jealous? Who am I jealous of? That when these things start to produce bad fruit in our lives, we would say, okay, wait, there's something going on here that I need to pay attention to. But out of all of these things, I think there is one vice here that is the sneakiest little devil of the whole list, and it's selfish ambition. I don't know what the, uh, these translations uh, get the concepts. Uh, concepts are there, the words are different, but um, the idea of selfish ambition can sneak in subtly like a covert spy, and we don't even necessarily recognize that it's going on. Like, you might know when you burst out in a fit of anger or rage. Like, that makes sense. But how do you know when your ambition is selfish? Because that's something that's going on underneath the surface, right? Like, that's the reason why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. So it really doesn't matter if you're doing a good thing that people would cheer you on for, or a bad thing that people would look skeptically at you for. It's the reason why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, good or bad. Because in the, at the end, this is what it's all about, right? Like, isn't this what Jesus is getting after? Our hearts? Doesn't he get after the Pharisees for honoring him with their lips, but having hearts that are far from him? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Not your religious commitments, not your doctrinal dispositions, but to love God with your whole heart, giving him all of who you are. We can all be deceived into doing the right things for the wrong reasons. In one sense, being in a church service on a Sunday morning could potentially be one of the most dangerous places for your soul. It could. Because you might be here with selfish ambition and nobody would know. Because you're doing, a good, you're doing the good, right, religious thing in the right religious way. But if your heart is filled with selfish ambition, then even doing good things can push your heart further away from God. Even things that God has said we must do. I've done this, done this. You pray for the wrong reasons. And selfish ambition, can, it starts to strangle the life out of your soul. You start to set up these religious expectations on yourself that you, like you kind of rig the game to set up these religious expectations that you can meet and then judge other people when they don't also meet those religious expectations. And I'm concerned that when we talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit, we could run the risk, if we're not careful, of actually reinforcing selfish ambition and self-righteousness instead of surrendering to God's love. Just think about this with me. If you've read this passage before, or if this was the first time that you read it, and you hear, walk by the Spirit and you won't do these bad things, what's one of the first questions you ask? Isn't it how? How do I walk by the Spirit then? And that's a good question, and you absolutely must ask it, but 
That's not the first question that we should ask, I don't think. Because if the first question that we ask is, how do I walk by the Spirit? You're going to get off on the wrong foot. Oh, man, I was totally expecting that one to land better than that. (laughs) Oh, well. That's okay. There's no more jokes uh, hidden in here that I'm planning on, so we'll just get back to preaching, I guess, or whatever this is. Stand-up hour's over. All right. Um, (laughs) A lot of people are asking this question. If you were to Google, how do I walk by the Spirit, you would get no less than 574 million results in about a half a second. And yeah, maybe that's not uh, so easy to see all blown up. Or, yeah, but it was fascinating to me because on, um, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday when I first Googled how do you walk by the Spirit, the number of results was at like 415 million. And by Thursday or Friday, it was at 570 million. Like, it just, it just keeps going up. Like, there is no shortage of opinions on how, how do you do this. And again, I'm just not sure that's the, that's the question we should be asking first. Because if we're asking, how do I walk by the Spirit, and we're paying attention to what we do and what we don't do and how we do it and that kind of stuff, that's where our focus goes. Then our focus, just because we're limited, it can't be on, why am I doing this? What is going on in my heart? And with almost anything we do, whether it's at home, at work, at church, it is such a small, deceptive little step to go from starting with the Spirit to looking to be perfected by the flesh, like it talks about in chapter 3 of Galatians. We start by the Spirit, and then it doesn't take long, and we're trying to be perfected by the flesh. And that always, always, always turns into exhaustion, self-righteousness, judgment, and it bears the, the bad fruit, the works of the flesh. It just starts coming out of us, and we don't even realize it. And I think that's one reason that God gives us this list. It's not so that we would do good things and avoid bad things, but it's so that we would see when jealousy starts to crop up in our hearts, when we, there's fits of rage that just burst out, that we would ask, what am I paying attention to? Why, am, why is this fruit coming out of my heart? Because self-righteous, selfish ambition, it has a blinding effect on our souls. It just does. Jesus said that the religious leaders were blind guides. They didn't even realize it. They were blind guides. When he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed for people because he said they don't even know what they're doing, right? This self-righteous, selfish ambition, it blinds you that you can't even see what's going on. And so again, the point of verses 17 through 21, I think, is that we would be able to ask what's going on in our soul. I think that Jesus invites us to ask far better questions than, how do you do this? I think he invites us to ask questions like, why would I want to? Do I want to? Do you want to walk by the Spirit? What areas of your life do you want to walk by the Spirit in? Are there areas of your life that you hold back from the Holy Spirit? Why? Why are you willing to give God some parts of your heart and not others? And what does all of that reveal about what you most treasure? 
what do you find the most satisfying, important part of your life? Whose kingdom are you most ambitious for? Whose kingdom would you let crumble? And why? Those are the kinds of questions I think that God wants us to major on and that not, not to shame you, not to load you down with guilt and expectation that you can't possibly carry, but to expose the false lovers who have deceived you. These false promises who are dangling a carrot out in front of you that you will never be able to obtain. And even if you could start to, it wouldn't satisfy your soul. They can't deliver. And so I think God wants us to ask these questions so that we can see the ways that our hearts are tempted to stray from him so that he can give us what's better, that he can give us himself. He wants to satisfy all of who you are. He wants to satisfy the core of your being with the greatest gift he could possibly give, himself. And he wants you to have free, unlimited, unhindered access to him. That's what he wants you to have. Now, I'm not good at asking these kinds of questions. I'm not nearly as attentive to my heart as I ought to be. And I think that's one of the reasons that God let me marry this amazing woman. Because I think God wants me to learn how to love following the Holy Spirit. See, because with my wife, Fellas, don't leave me hanging here if you can relate to this. I, know, I have no idea what she wants. We've been married for almost 20 years, and I, I can't tell you what she wants right now. I, I just don't know. The only way I can figure out what she wants is by engaging her heart because her heart is a moving target. It's always something different. Sometimes she wants an elegant dessert from an Italian restaurant, and sometimes she wants cereal and sweatpants. When she's overwhelmed... Sometimes she likes to do the dishes because it's calming. And sometimes she likes me to do the dishes because it makes her feel supported while she rests. Sometimes her heart longs to connect with God by hiking through scenic nature and sometimes by exploring urban centers filled with art, human creativity, and divine diversity. The only way I can know what she actually wants is by engaging with her heart moment to moment. And get this. Again, fellas, don't leave me hanging. <laughs> With my wife, this goes even deeper because it isn't just about getting it right. See, I have to get it right with the right motivation because if my heart is off, like sometimes I, if I'm doing the right thing, it can almost make her more skeptical because if I am coming at her with, like mixed motives, oh, she smells that from a mile away and it makes everything worse. So like, let's say that I decided I was going to go run out to table 65 and get her a dessert and she senses that the reason I did all of that was so that she would think I'm some kind of a hero. Be like, uh-uh, she won't even want it. Well, okay, she'd want it. But what would happen is there would be distance put in our relationship. That's what selfish ambition does doesn't matter if you get it right. If you are engaging a, any relationship with a person or with God, 
If your motivation is selfish, you create distance in that relationship. Selfish ambition creates distance. Selfless love creates intimacy. God loves us selflessly, doesn't he? He gives himself fully and freely. That's how God loves us. And loving others selflessly is actually more enjoyable for us too, isn't it? Because then you can run out to table 65, fellas, maybe you should, and bring your wife home a dessert without expectation, just to love her. And that'll be a better gift to you than doing it filled with expectation. If we do the right religious things to make God happy, it's going to make everything messed up. It just will. It just does. Especially since God's already happy. He's infinitely happy. He's, he's, he's a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is filled with infinite delight and joy in himself. He's perfectly happy. He's uncontainably happy. He doesn't need you to get it right to make him happy. Instead, he invites us to engage with himself who is already happy. And so we don't have to work so hard to do the right religious things, working really, really hard to be patient so that we don't explode in anger. We can try to muster up all the energy we have to be generous instead of jealous. But if we do it with selfish ambition, we're going to push our hearts further away from God's. But do you know what's amazing? This truth works in the opposite direction too. You can get it wrong. You can get it wrong. But if you're drawing near to God, if what your heart wants more than anything else is to be vulnerably connected to the Holy Spirit of God, because what you want more than anything is to sense and taste and see that he is good and to give him the best that you have, if that's what your heart wants and you do it in the wrong way, he's going to see your good intentions. And it's going to bring joy and delight to his heart. So we can pray in the wrong way. We can read the wrong translation. We can give to a less than upright organization, even if we didn't realize it. We can listen to worship music that somebody else might say is bad. We can do these things because if our heart is set on drawing near to God. He will draw near to us. Please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that we shouldn't care about false teaching. We absolutely should. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that our confidence is not in our ability to determine what's best in every given situation. Our confidence is in God, that he is a good shepherd. He is a good teacher. He is a faithful lover. He is so jealously in love with you. His affection burns so white hot for your ultimate goodness that if you get something wrong, he can correct you in gentleness. Because he doesn't want you to miss out on anything of who he is. He treasures you. Your affection for him makes his heart throb with passion. He doesn't play games. He's not self-protective. He's not fickle. He's made his whole heart available to us. And so when we say yes to him, when we respond with unguarded desire for him, he's promised that nothing in all of creation will ever separate us from his love even us getting it wrong sometimes. Amen?
his heart for you is like an overfilled water balloon. The slightest pinprick of your love is going to make the Holy Spirit gush out all over you. He can't hold it in and he doesn't want to. And if you have trouble believing this, please look at the cross. That's God's ultimate forever guarantee of his love for you that you can get something a little bit wrong for a minute and he's going to cover it. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. When we were his enemies, he gave his life for us. How much more will he give us all good things now that we're his children? Now, from a human perspective, it was selfish ambition and hatred and jealousy that nailed Jesus to the cross. But from Jesus's perspective, it was love. Love for the Father so unspeakably, ravenously passionate that he would pay for our sins so that through Jesus, we could be forever caught up in the infinite love of God that dances between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the Spirit we're invited to walk in. It's the Holy Spirit of the God who is love. What else would you want to walk in? Who else would you want to give your heart to? He is the only faithful lover who will never get it wrong. So we can get it wrong because he's gotten everything right. And by giving our hearts to him, he makes us increasingly right with him and with others. And so that in Jesus, we are free to love God with reckless abandon. I think that's why there's no how-to here. I think that's why verse 16 does not give us a how-to because saying, how do you walk by the Spirit, I think is like asking, how do you fall in love? <laughs> how do, I don't know. It happens to you by looking at the one who is lovely, spending time with the one who is lovely, delighting in Jesus more than anything else. This is not a formula. It's not about getting it right. It is about falling in love with Jesus. And he is so stinking amazing. Please don't try to sanitize him or shrink him down to a God that you can manage. Don't do that. He's too good. He has too much good for you. Just look at his life. Just like my wife, I can't get a beat on Jesus either. Like, read the Gospels. Sometimes he gathers the crowds to himself and then he'll feed them so that they stay longer. Sometimes he walks away from the crowds. Sometimes he says things that makes the crowd walk away from him. How, why does he do what he does? At any, I don't know. You got to seek him. He raises Lazarus from the dead, but only after he lets him die. He was healing people like crazy. Why? I, you got to seek him. Sometimes Jesus taught with stories. Sometimes he was painfully direct. And this is the God we get to pursue every day, wherever we go, in every interaction, in every part of our lives. We walk by the Spirit, not just when we're in the right religious circles, but everywhere, all day, at home, at the grocery store. I mean, you ever do that? You ever just walk through the grocery store and look people in the eye and wonder what God's doing in their lives? And pray for them. Everywhere you go, you can walk with the God who is love. And we will become more lovely as we do. That's how we avoid all the garbage of the flesh. It's by looking at Jesus who is so infinitely better that it will look like garbage. That we won't want it. 
but our hearts, our ambition will be to love God. That's how we bear the incredible fruit listed in verses 22 and 23. Because you know what happens when crops start bearing fruit? Like when a good crop starts bearing good fruit, it's uncontainable, isn't it? Like it just, it just keeps on coming. We have two raspberry bushes in our front yard, just two. We can't keep up. Now that it's fall, like it just, it just keeps coming. That's the kind of fruit that God bears in us. We can't keep up. But here's the thing. When God does this in you, not when you work really hard and are paying attention, but when you're paying attention to Jesus and are in love with him, this good fruit starts coming out of you and you probably won't even notice. You're not even going to be paying attention. It would be like hopping in a river, scooping up water and being amazed at this little bit of water that's in your hands and going and showing people, look at the water. But if you're amazed by the river, you don't care about the little bit of water you can hold, right? And you don't say, hey, everyone, look at this little bit of water I have. If you want to glorify the river, you say, hey, everyone, come look at the river. You can stand in the source of it. You can't contain it. You can't control it. But you can float in it. Some people can. Yes. I love the way that David Benner puts this in his excellent book, Surrender to Love. He writes this. Obedience that is the grudging fruit of willful determination does not give God any more pleasure than it gives a parent. Paradoxically, the abundant life promised us in Christ comes not from grasping, but releasing. Not striving, but relinquishing. He goes on to talk about surrender. He compares it to floating in water. He writes this, you cannot float until you let go. Floating is putting your full weight on the water and trusting that you will be supported. Isn't that a great picture of what it means to walk by the Spirit? Church, it doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years or six minutes. God just got a hold of your heart in this service. Like, this is what we all get to do. We get to float on this river. We are surrounded we are surrounded by a, a wellspring of living water. We get to give ourselves fully to him and trust that we can let go of everything and he, Jesus, will support us. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, following him with as pure of loving motives as our current level of maturity can handle. And then we will bear fruit that cannot be contained. Who can we be envious of? when we are saturated with and satisfied in God's love. Who are you going to be jealous of when you get Jesus? Why would we waste our energy being proud of ourselves when we can live in constant awe and wonder of God? Do you know God in this way? If you do, do you want to go deeper? 
You can right now, today. Do you want to know God in this way? Because you can right now, today. Jesus has done everything necessary so that we all can have, as we can all have God now in this moment. And so we're going to spend some time praying together about all of this. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to show us what we might be holding on to that's causing us to sink. Different ways we might be striving that's causing us to not just enjoy floating in the river of lives. (laughs) Even if that's our good works. As I was praying about this um, service today, and invited some other people to pray. We felt like there was a couple of things that the Holy Spirit was bringing to mind that we think he may want to um, bring some freedom and and healing to in the lives of people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes. Andre's going to come up. He's going to play some instrumental music for us so we can just sit silently in God, well, kind of silently because the music will be going, but um, we're going to just sit in God's presence. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, believing that we don't want to just talk about God. We want to talk to God. We don't come here to only hear from each other. We come here to hear from heaven, right? That's it. We believe that God wants to speak. And so Andre's going to play some instrumental music. And we just want to invite you to encounter God, to be in his presence. However you feel, you can engage with that and trust that God is going to speak to each one of us. There's just a couple of things that we believe God may be wanting to to do here in this service. So one is, um, just have a sense of that that there's a, a fear that might be crippling to some. And God wants you to be liberated from that, to walk into his freedom. And again, not in shame, but in the confidence of a good father who will protect you, who will provide for you. A second thing that we felt like God might be doing in this service is inviting people to breathe deeply, to not like live in this anxious, in, in a, in a, um, with an anxious fear um, that, that can be just like paralyzing and not really let you be fully who you are. So fear and anxiety might God be wanting to free you from those things or meet you in those places? So um, I'm going to pray in a second. Andre is going to play the music here. Um, and then after a little while, Christy is going to come up and close this time. And then when, when the worship team comes back up, uh, instead of just closing the service with us all singing, we'll do that. But um, the Rybackies have organized the prayer team so that different people will be in different portions of the building. So you can go pray with people too. So first, we want to give everybody an opportunity to meet with God directly, but we come together as a body. And so we also want to give people an opportunity um, to be prayed for too with other people. So uh, we're going to just have some time of contemplative prayer right now. Then the worship team is going to come back up. Christy will give more direction at that point, but let's pray. Let's continue to meet with God in a different way now.
as I was praying, I just um, continued to hear that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Um, so I think that's the invitation this morning. Um, yeah, turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you've instructed us not just to bear this fruit, being filled by your spirit, to also bear the fruit of repentance, God. We thank you that your repentance is, is kindness, that it's an invitation to freedom, the freedom that you have invited us into, God, the freedom that you have paid in full for, God. That when we look at your face, so when we see your character, that we have nothing to fear, nothing to hold back. You are, you are life itself. Your breath, our creator and our sustainer, the lover of our souls. So Jesus, we do thank you, Lord, that when you show us things in us, God, that cause hindrance and entanglement, it is not to condemn us, but God, it's in your compassion, in your relentless pursuit of our hearts to set us free to be loved by you, God. And we can't not love you in return. But Jesus, we thank you that you are so trustworthy. We thank you that you are only good. We thank you that your intentions are always pure. We thank you, God, that you are always doing more than all we could ask or imagine in us and through us and all around us. And that is our joy. So God, set us free. Let us turn away from everything that hinders and entangles. Let us be free from striving and struggling to be right and to do right instead, to look at you and see that you are more than enough, God. Let us see who you are. We just ask for healing in this place as there are so many reasons why we struggle to trust you, why we struggle to see who you really are. And so we ask, God, those areas where there has been um, pain and abuse and um, exploitation and um, Jesus, that you would just bring healing and freedom that the ways that people's eyes and hearts have been veiled to who you really are by painful experiences, God, we just ask that you would remove those veils, those lies in Jesus' name. Set us free to see who you really are, God. That we would be free to fully be loved by you and to fully love you with every moment and every ounce of who you created us to be. You are worthy, God, and you are trustworthy. This is all about you, Jesus. So help us that we would hold nothing back from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you in vulnerability, 
that we don't need to be strong in and of ourselves, that we can come in our need and our dependence as children. Say, Father, we need you. We need your help. And that you are relentless in your response, full of compassion and help. You are good. There is there's no flaw in you. We praise you. We put ourselves and our hearts before you today. Say, move and power. Have your way, God. Beautify your church. Set us free to rejoice in all of who you are. Amen. As Pete had mentioned, we're going to continue to just um, use um, these next few minutes to engage in worship, prayer. If you want to um, just continue to listen to what Jesus is saying to you, what you feel he's doing in your heart, please like be totally comfortable to, to continue to be still and sit that responsive to whatever he wants to say and do. If you want somebody to talk with you, pray with you, um, there will be people um, throughout the sanctuary and um, I think outside of even this space, if you wanted to um, just invite somebody else into that um, freedom that God is inviting you into today. Um, but we're going to continue to worship and just, Jesus, we give you this time, uh, set our eyes on you, be so exalted in this place, Jesus. Set us free. Set us free to love you more than we ever have today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.